so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast. This week, we'll hear from Gabe Lyons and be encouraged to live confidently as Christians. But one of the questions today is, what is it going to mean for the church to also remain faithful in the midst of a new challenge? In a season where you're going to feel more pressure to shift your views or to accommodate new views, I would call it false teaching. What are we going to do? Are we going to just be quiet? You see, I look back and I think of of somebody like Daniel living in Babylon, right? An incredible story of a man who had to practice courage that was based on conviction. Conviction that went so deep that we see instances throughout his entire life of where he had to stand. And part of how he stood wasn't just bravado. It came out of a quiet life of prayer. Increasingly, the evangelical church is being associated with extremism. At the ERLC National Conference, Gabe Lyons reminds us that continuing to seek truth in Scripture will enable us to be bold when faced with this opposition and confusion. We hope this message gives you courage to live with convictional kindness as a Christian. I want to help you see some of the insights we've been gathering over the last two years of research around how Americans are feeling about religion and people of faith. I think if you're honest with yourself and the people in your church, if we were to ask them here today how they're feeling about publicly talking about their faith today, they'd say it's decreased immensely the amount of confidence that they have to actually share or proclaim their faith. And we have to understand the context in which we're living out our faith right now. We're called to be on this mission whether it's 2016 or whatever year God has placed us into this role to be faithful, we have to show up in the midst of these circumstances and in this context to do just that. And so the men of Issachar, we all know this story. They understood the times and knew what to do. Let's try to understand a little more what's happening right now. And then we're going to talk about what does it mean for us to be a faithful church as we move forward into a season of cultural change that's rapidly happening so fast, many of us can hardly keep up with the change. But let's walk forward in confidence knowing that God knows exactly what he's doing and that he's called us for such a time. And so a a few things just to talk about. One, 47% of millennials right now are afraid to speak up about their faith. Now, why would that be? Why would half of millennial Christians be afraid to speak up about their faith? There's a couple reasons. One is the research shows that most people in America think faith in general right now is just completely irrelevant. It literally has nothing to do with contributing to their life to their day-to-day, to the way that they're making decisions, to the kind of um, relationships that they're entering, to how they're living their life and forming themselves. Absolutely irrelevant. This is not a new development. This has been one of those slow trend lines we've seen happening over the last few decades. But what's been more astounding in the last two years to see this research is to understand how quickly 
in American life, your neighbors, your friends, colleagues have started to label the Christian faith extreme. You see, the word extreme is now one of the labels that's attached to being a Christian. It's happened rather quickly. It might surprise some of you. You might think it's a bit exaggerated. You've heard the word extreme or extremism used a lot, especially as we talk about the Middle East. Maybe it's discussions about ISIS and people who've used their faith to do violence to others. And we'd all agree that's extreme. But now the word extreme is being attached to Christian ideas, to basic orthodoxy about the ways in which we ought to live our lives. And so in that moment, what does it mean to be faithful? You see, for the culture, once you've been labeled extreme, there's a need to do something with you. When you were irrelevant, it was no big deal, right? It's like, oh, you guys can do your church services, go to your worship concerts, pray with your families, do your thing. Like, it's kind of irrelevant. I know sometimes it's a good thing for the community, but in general, I don't care about it. The moment your faith becomes labeled as extreme within this context that we're living in, the moral authority shifts to those who don't share your faith to say, you're doing harm to the community. In fact, we feel a little more motivated now to sort of marginalize, push you off to the side, denigrate the ideas that you're sharing, and in many ways, marginalize you from the conversation. And that's the moment you're living in right now. It's the moment the people in your churches are living through right now in their workplaces, in their friendships and relationships, and specifically our young people who are maybe heading off to college, maybe it's in high school, they're all experiencing it. doesn't matter which kind of community you're in, whether you're in a small rural town or you're living in the middle of Manhattan. You see, a couple of things have have changed. You see, 46% of Americans right now believe that religion is part of the problem in our society. 46%, almost half. And maybe you'd agree with me and go, you know, religion is part of the problem, right? Like, Jesus came to absolutely abolish religion and these man-made structures we put on top of people, and it burdens them. Not agree with you. But you can also see 42% of Americans believe that people of faith are part of the problem. So we don't just quickly get that pass and blame it on religion. People of faith are part of the problem. You see, here's how they're thinking about this. Many people remember back in the uh, fall, we we saw these horrible terrorism events take place in Paris. There was one night in particular where there was a shooting at a cafe. There was um, suicide bombers at a soccer stadium. Then there was a concert where several people lost their lives. Instantly after that, there was a Pray for Paris hashtag. Well, someone in Paris actually drew this cartoon and displayed it, and I think it captures perfectly the sentiment that many people are feeling about religion. Here's what it said. Friends from the whole world, thank you for hashtag Pray for Paris, but we don't need more religion. Our faith goes to music, kisses, life, champagne, and joy. Hashtag Paris is about life. You see, that's the sentiment right now about religion. Keep your religion. We don't need it. It's causing the problems in this world. So now what does it mean to be a pastor and to walk forward into that kind of setting and try to live out faith that's going to be something that people walk out on a Sunday or out of a Bible study or out of a small group, out of a prayer evening, and they walk out with confidence and say, now I know how to live this out. You see, one of the challenges is if you just were to use this label extreme and ask Americans kind of what are the Christian activities they label extreme, here's, here's a few of them. You know, 93% believes if you, if you use religion to justify violence, that's extreme. Now, of course, we all agree with that. I'm not sure where the other 7% were that day when they were asked that question. Obviously, that's extreme. But you can see 6 out of 10 believe if you, just, if you share your faith with the desire to convert somebody, right, part of what it means to be a Christian, to be a missionary, to share our faith, 
That's an extreme act in this society. 52% believe that if you think same-sex relationships are immoral, that's an extreme attitude or way to think. But look at this. This is interesting, right? 42% believe that if you were to quit a good-paying job to go pursue missions, then you're extreme as well. And I think we'd all sit here and applaud and go, yes, they're extreme. And, And you think of extreme as the word devoted, Right? They're devoted followers of Jesus. And David Kinneman and I, in our new book, Good Faith, which lays out all of this research, we, we make the case that every one of us is extreme in some way. So let's not just shrink back from, oh, now we're being labeled extreme. Let's try to convince everybody we're not extreme. No, we actually have some serious ideas that we believe are good for human flourishing. And we're called to live those out, invite others into it, share about it, disciple people to live into this. That is part of what it means to be a Christian. And if we get caught up in the game of trying to keep up with the culture, trying to look appealing to the culture, try not to say too much that would maybe offset the balance of social relationships within our community, then I think we'll find that we have nothing to offer when the world wakes up and goes, this didn't work either. And so one of the things that's helpful to understand is is there's some new morality that's taken place in our world. You know, 50 years ago, we all might have agreed on what was right and wrong, good and bad. Well, now there's some new codes, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but I just want to give you a glimpse into sort of how the average American today thinks about morality. The first thing, 79% of people believe that people can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. I mean, is that even logically possible? (laughs) Believe whatever you want as long as it doesn't affect society. No, this isn't possible. I mean, as you think about pornography and the revolution of that over the last two decades, That came from a set of ideas a couple decades ago that said, hey, that's your business. That doesn't matter to me. Or we think about the idea of no-fault divorce, something many people fail to remember. Ronald Reagan was one of the first and the first governor to sign into law in California. It absolutely changed the incentive for what marriage was from being a contract or from being a covenant relationship between a man and a woman to now being a contract between adults that didn't take into account the kids. And that belief affected society. And if you talk to the majority now of 20-somethings, you would see that it's absolutely wreaked havoc in their life. Sadly, 61% of Christians believe that same thing. People can believe whatever they want, as long as their beliefs don't affect society. And this is what we find data point after data point. Almost 8 out of 10 of Americans believe that the point of life is to pursue your deepest desires, and that's what will bring you fulfillment. That's not a Christian idea. As Christians, we know we're to give our lives away. We're to lay down ourselves and sacrifice on behalf of others. That's actually where you find purpose in life. And yet we found seven out of ten Christians believe that very same thing. And so instead of just quickly blaming the problems out there with the world, maybe they should figure out that we Christians are different or better or something like that, we have to hold the mirror up and go, how are we contributing to this? Are the people in our churches even knowing what it means to live out their faith? Are we discipling them in such a way that they know what it means to have confidence in that moment of pressure? And I think the challenge for all of us is to ask that question of ourselves, of our church, of our ministry, of our discipleship programs, of how we're training up people, how we're training our youth, how we're training our children to think in such a way. You see, nine out of 10 people believe that people should not criticize someone else's life choices. Nine out of ten. This is the ultimate cardinal sin in our culture today, if you have not noticed. And so on the morality scale, most people agree. Don't ever question somebody's life choice. 
But what are you doing as a pastor every Sunday as you read from Scripture and you say to people, this is God's word for your life. This is not my words, it's for you. You're challenging people's life choices or behaviors. You're challenging your own life choices or behaviors. And so the challenge for us as we move forward is to say, what is faithfulness going to look like? You see, over the last decade, our organization Q and a lot of the work we've done, we've, we've been very intent on trying to help the church understand and rediscover, really, its role in renewing culture. We have to show up. We have to be engaged. We can't just abandon culture and, and live in our own little worlds and not be engaging with those who don't know Jesus and not be using our gifts in the midst of a culture where we see brokenness and we see things falling apart. Of course, we're supposed to show up. But one of the questions today is, what is it going to mean for the church to also remain faithful in the midst of a new challenge? In a season where you're going to feel more pressure to shift your views or to accommodate new views, I would call it false teaching. What are we going to do? Are we going to just be quiet? You see, I look back and I think of of somebody like Daniel living in Babylon, right? An incredible story of a man who had to practice courage that was based on conviction Conviction that went so deep that we see instances throughout his entire life of where he had to stand. And part of how he stood wasn't just bravado. It came out of a quiet life of prayer. And it was in that life of prayer that he knew he could trust God, that God would be faithful. One of my favorite stories is when we see towards the end of of the life of Daniel, there's this moment where the people around him are pretty jealous, right? He's got a lot of influence. And they're saying, we need to kind of get rid of this guy. And so they get the king to sign this decree you know, essentially kind of a city ordinance that says nobody here can pray to anybody but you, king. And, and if they do, then they're going to get thrown into the lion's den. And, and look at what happens in Daniel. In Daniel 6.10, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, so he knew the law was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in the chamber toward Jerusalem, he got down upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Did anything change about his life? Just because the cultural surroundings around him had changed? No. He knew he could rely on the Father. But you see, one of our challenges today is to make sure that as we're equipping our people in churches on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and your communications with them, that we're not just giving them knowledge, but that we're actually teaching them truth. You know, 2 Timothy 3.7, there's a warning there that we're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. I think this is a danger for the American church. Constant information, lots of content, lots of podcasts, lots of sermons. But are we really helping people get to the root of what is true? The question of truth will be challenged like it's never been challenged in your lifetime. The people in your church are confused. We know that 8 out of 10 of the people in your church are saying, I wish my pastor would actually help me know how to talk about some of these issues. I wish they would address them. And yet we research with the pastors show that 8 out of 10 of the pastors are saying to us, we're not sure how to talk about these things. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to say it in such a way that we might use the wrong language or or do something that would harm people or, or them to leave. Do you see this perfect storm forming? Your people are hungry for discipleship. But it's even more than that. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 15, we see Paul give an admonition. It's a really interesting thing he says. He says, you have 10,000 teachers, but no fathers. Does that describe the American church today? We celebrate the teaching gift, but how much are we doing to actually father the people in our church? You know what a father does when he sees the wolf come near the campfire and his kids are all around it? 
The father goes after that wolf. It calls it out. He protects the children. Are we doing that in our congregations? Or are we scared about what the opinions might be about us or what might be written in the paper about us because we tell the truth to our people about what we know we can rely on? He says there's an opportunity for us right now in this moment. An opportunity not to shrink back in fear for not knowing, you know, where this next season of cultural life goes. No, there's an opportunity for us to lead. And we should lead with love, not with fear. But it begins by you equipping your people. It begins by you equipping yourself. It begins probably in your alone time as you continue to work this out with your Heavenly Father and know what you believe and why you believe it. And your conviction gets rooted way deeper in Scripture. Because the bedrock of Scripture is going to help us and going to help your people answer questions that we're not even sure will be asked in the years to come. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the ERLC podcast. To subscribe to the podcast and find more information about cultural engagement, visit ERLC.com.